לשידור ישיר ממחנה רמה בברקשיירס. Joseph puts Benjamin in jail, framed him with the gold, the silver goblet, and that's what he's going to do. He's going to keep Benjamin there forever. Judah now has ascended to family prominence. And the words that begin this parsha, Vayigash elav Yehuda, he comes close to him. Vayomer biadoni, yedaber navdecha, davarboznean, let me speak to you. Don't be angry. And he goes through the whole story. It's a long, long speech. And tell me, I want to, you know what? Give me the reaction here. Chapter 45, open the Chumash, and Joseph is reacting from verse 1. Well, just before you, before you yeah. run away, it's just a, it is a long speech, but Judah tells this this guy named Sofnat Paneach, he's got this Egyptian name, which I, I, I read somewhere that in Egypt it means like, you know, uh, uh, God provides the food. But in Hebrew, the tzaddik pei nun, Sofnat Paneach, pei ayin nun chet, looks like it means the decipherer of secrets, the one who can see past all the, the um, you know, the, the costuming. And he says, I got to tell you this story. And it's a story, it's a story about... Um, Uh, a father who loves, loves, loves a child, and we've we've been back and forth, and I cannot, I cannot, you know, go back without this child whom you're about to imprison. It'll break the old man's heart. And of course, Joseph, he loves his father and hates his father. This is the 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 parad- paradigmatic, you know, human being. He loves his father so much. He was his father's favorite. Benjamin, by virtue of being his full brother from Rachel, he's his father's next favorite. They're, the two of them are a match set. Um, and he blames, presumably, his, his father set him up for the brothers to attack him. So he's got a lot of ambivalence. And the th- and Judah, Judah um, uh, closes off his speech. I said last week, When, long ago, when we recorded last week's parasha, I, I said that, you know, Joseph is setting his brothers up to not, for the first time after so many times in which they let, let one poor brother be abandoned and let one poor brother be sent into jail. This time, they're not going to do that. They're going to come through for Benjamin with a, with a brotherly feeling. And Judah's last words, Ki ech alavi, how can I go back up to Canaan to my father, Vahanar Eninuiti, with the young man not with me? I can't imagine how much suffering that's going to cause him. Right. And then, hit it. So what he does then is Yehuda 
sacrifice or is willing to sacrifice himself for the sake of his brother. Let Benjamin go and I will stay behind. Whereas before, no one was willing to sacrifice him, himself for Yosef. Or for Shibu. And I think that really is the greatness of Yehuda. And it also is, it clarifies for us the bizarre interchange earlier when Ruvain was willing to have his own two sons killed if they don't come back with Benjamin. And Yehuda says, I pledged my life. I, I want to just add one layer of this, which it's only occurs to me, you know, after reading the story of Judah in, in two parshas ago in depth, which is that Judah himself is a bereaved father. Judah has lost two sons already. Judah has lost Er and lost Onan. Now, they may have been despicable human beings. That's different. It doesn't matter. He's 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 got this loss. And it's not that he has nothing to live for after being bereaved. He certainly has time, but he's he he is he's the most as far as the torah has delivered to us the most dented the most damaged the most he's he's been the most affected by life and therefore he's been the most the character that has experienced the most loss and the most transition the most wisdom basically and that that he he is the noble survivor he he has attained a status through his own personal experience, that 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 almost makes him untouchable. I think. So, as long as you mention this, there's a curiosity later in the parsha. So, right before the end of the parsha, there's going to be a genealogy of the the sons and grandsons of Jacob that go into Egypt, and they're done by wife first Leah, and it says there are thirty three, but included in the thirty three are Aaron Nona. Interesting. So he's so, you, so what do we make of that? Yeah. Don't know. Uh, there's got to be a midrashic uh It does because and, they're the only two that have died. And it, it's it's necessary that, that the numbers work out, right? Cuz you have to add up to 7. No, okay, the numbers it's hard to make them work out. Um they're very confusing, but in terms of how the Torah sets itself up, it's 33 descendants of of the Leia group, you know, the sons and um, grandsons, and there are Nona and they're among them. But does, does it turn out to be, and I, I don't remember here, but does it turn out to be that it lists 72, which will be fine because 70 souls go down to Egypt? Because then Aaron Onan can be in the genealogy because, you know, they were in part of the family, but they're not with us anymore. It could but be Barry, like that, that verse in chapter 46, verse 12, it says, Vayamot Erbo Anan Beretz Kanan. So it does say that they. They're dead, right? So maybe they're included in the 33, but it's 33 minus. I don't know. But, but anyway, we, we started to tell the story. I, I told the, the, the bit of, about Judah's speech. He tells the speech, and it is, it is all but designed. I mean, as it, within the story, the character Judah does not know that Sofnat Paneach is actually Yosef. Yeah. But the story he's told is, is like, it is, you know, he's trying to break his heart. And he totally succeeds because Elliot hit at 45, 45, number one. He couldn't hold himself back that all, to all the people standing around. This is amazing. He says, get everyone out of here. And nobody stood with him. When Joseph 
reveal themselves to his brothers. So so look at this scene. The scene is so built with tension. Get everybody out of here. Everybody out. And, and then the camera goes outside. Then the yeah. camera goes outside. Because get everybody out. And then the camera says, and nobody could hear what went on outside. It's, it's as if as if you cinematically, like everybody get out. And then for a moment, the shot, you are standing among the people who've just been thrown out of the room. Then he cries. Such a evocative expression to give your voice in cry right in, in wailing it's it's this uncontrollable wailing and they hear and this that's the beautiful artistry of the narrative that he's crying we're in the crucible with them in the room and everybody hears what's going on and of course By the way, this this, this line this line of he he calls out a voice in tears uh this is when Jacob first goes to Mesopotamia. He meets Rachel at the well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jacob kisses her and he and he He lifts his voice as opposed to he gives his voice, but it's 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 almost the exact same. And he gives his voice and cries. So here you have the story about his parents meeting. That romantic scene, and now him connecting with his brothers, and it's almost the identical language. It's catharsis, and so I want to ask you a question about the breakdown because it is a it's a, an emotional breakdown. You know, whenever someone experiences this, it's not only one thing. You know, it's it's the whole cascade of of everything. Everything gets kind of funneled into this moment. It's it's uncontrollable weeping here. Um, you know, and and. I think what what is so artful in the way that the story is narrated is that that you know we're there we're there in, on the stage we're there in the room as as it happens we're we're witnessing this we're seeing this play itself out it's hard not to to feel ourselves a kind of emotion you know the same way that that you would when when you watch a player when you you see him and and it's so striking the 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 crisis moment and you still wonder you know how is he going to manage this how is he going to Deal with this. That's the moment of suspense there, which is totally relieved when he says, Ani Yosef, I am Joseph, Ha'od Avichai, is my father yet alive? And and why does he even ask that? That's a, that's a very strange question to ask upon the revelation of, it's like, I am Joseph, you know, look at me, I, you know, and, and or he's saying, is my father still alive? So how do you react to that? How do you react to that to to that question? So I think part of the answer has to do with the fact that 22 years have elapsed since Joseph last saw Jacob. And however we want to characterize Joseph, we have to come to terms in some way that Joseph, from the Torah's record, made no attempt to contact his father. And it's the you know, so he has become an Egyptian for all intents and purposes. And in this moment, he realizes he's Yosef the Israelite. He's not an Egyptian. That his family, his children and wife notwithstanding, are not in Egypt. It's in Canaan. And it's like a recognition that he shut his father out of his life so even though he's been talking with his brothers about the father and about Benjamin, 
it suddenly realizes that he never once asked about his father. I know it's crazy that he was the most powerful. I mean, this is this is the expression of ambivalence in your safe, like you said, Elliot. Great emotion is never one thing. That's it. It wouldn't be like if this was just math. It wouldn't be you know math is an answer. Two plus two is four. But emotions are never like that. Joseph is the most powerful man in Egypt for twenty two years, or. Uh, he, he wasn't the most powerful guy for 22 years. It's been 22 years since he was there. He was in prison. He suffered. But he's now been in charge for a while. As Deuteronomy will tell us, it only takes 11 days to go up the coast from Egypt to uh, to Canaan. He totally could have and chose not to. Um, so I want to I just rebut a little bit, which is, yeah, he didn't write a letter. He didn't send a postcard. He didn't send a message. He didn't do anything. But, but you know, we we he didn't, all he didn't send a Zoom link. He didn't he send, a send a Zoom link. <laughs> but it's the father accepts the 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 torn tunic, and and never um, goes beyond that. I find that a little odd. Okay, I I I'm put Jacob here in 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 the box and say, wait a minute, you didn't want to go to the scene of the crime. You didn't want to investigate yourself. You didn't want to. You don't want to, you don't want to, you don't, you know, there are people, I, I read a story recently of a woman who, who, whose mother put her in a, in a monastery and said, I'm going to be back for you. I think I told this last week or two weeks ago, I'm going to come back for you. And she's 90 years old. She's still looking for her mother. Okay. So, you know, these, the, the, the search for the child, you know, I mean, we, we, we see these stories daily in the news where, where a lost child, there's, there's a, there's a situation last year at Meron, right? There was this kid, Moishi, who got lost in Meron, and the parents are still looking for him. And they're turning it upside down. They're turning the mountain upside down for him, right? In my preparation in my preparation to uh, go to New Orleans for vacation, I was watching a little bit of Treme, the, the HBO series Treme, and uh, and this uh, a mother waiting for a child who's not going to come back from the Katrina flood. But she waits. She's waiting. She's waiting uh, every day and trying for every piece of information. We can think about after nine eleven. Do you remember? I mean, the, you know, people putting up these. They didn't know what to do, right? It was so unfathomable, right? Missing, missing. I mean, where do you think they are? They're missing. Maybe they'll come back. And that's what they, when something suddenly happens like that, and someone suddenly left, you want to look for them. And Jacob so, doesn't look for them. And, I want to push back. I think that. What he recognizes is that it's a tunic with blood on it. To what I'm sorry? It's a tunic that has blood on it, and it seems to be it's definitely Joseph's. It seems to mean that he's dead, but he knows there's no body. And he makes reference to that there not being a but body. Yeah, I think in this partial where he says, I had a son, but who He's not here. He doesn't say he died. So I think that there's a sense that. His head tells him one thing, but his heart tells him something else. And so it's not quite clear. And I, I think the other thing that we might want to consider at least a little bit is that in the ancient world, people disappeared all the time. It was not a an uncommon thing. It was a common thing for all sorts of reasons. Right? I mean, we have a whole tractate of Talmud, Jibamot, dedicated to a, a woman whose husband disappears because that was a reality. You couldn't always tell if someone was dead or missing. 
Yeah, but the, nope. the, the 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 track that is built on the possibility, maybe what, and and what do you do? So so, you know, that possibility has to, it has to be present somewhere on a, on a, on at least a psychological level for Jacob, and he never never acts on it. He never says, "I wonder what would happen." And maybe you know, or or he becomes so accepting of of the reality of, of the tunic that well. But consider what happens. He okay. they come back with the tunic, and he says, "You know, I will go to Shaol or whatever he says." And then and the it, next thing we have the story of Judah and Tamar. Yeah, doesn't tell you. Okay, Elliot, I'm, I'm surprised that you're. I mean, first of all, I think you you are right that the story is of Joseph who could have and Jacob who could have, and they could have overcome some of the the gap that Distance. separates them. But I think what Barry said is is kind of decisive that's that's how the torah says um that's how the torah says you know there's some straws of hope here that joseph is a nano that there was one and there's there's one you know there was one and he's and he's not present it's, and i think that the torah is like it, it is literary way um slyly saying this story is not over and we happen to know that this story is not over sure. and so so I think that the the gap between the two people, um, it is like the animating tension, and neither of them has done what we what we might have wanted them to do. But had they done that, then there would be no story. The story is about, and because the the Hebrew Bible is so very heavily about exile and homecoming, you've been sent to Egypt, you've been sent to Mesopotamia, you long to get back to a homeland. It's true, and Abraham makes a journey, and, and Rebecca makes a journey, and Joseph and Jacob, they all have to make these journeys between Egypt and Mesopotamia, and it's all about that sense of alienation, and it's golav and nechar, it's about exile and alienation, and they're, and they're trying to get back. Um, but had had they just, you know, and Joseph just uh, picked up a caravan and scooted up to Canaan to say hello, the, it wouldn't be this story of protracted alienation which ultimately arise in a reconciliation. That's what we're that's what we're going for. Right. Okay. So so but so then go back to the pain of it. The pain. I'm I'm going to offer that that by that he that he, by putting out his voice and in, in crying. It's not only about the brothers. It's not only about the brothers. It's about his father. It's about his life. It's about Egypt. It's about the sense that I'm alienated. I, it's about the sense that. He understand. I'm gonna, you know, do a little isogesis here. I'll put it in and say, does he understand that he's really not a free person? That that yeah, he has the power, the wealth, and and he has the the prestige of of all of that trappings of of office, but he knows he really knows that he can't do anything without Pharaoh's permission. And and you know, does he have regret? Maybe you know he could have been something else in, in his life, and 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 all of that, and that there's. The emotion here is just everything compounded with everything. It's not just one dimensional. It's not just me and my brothers because they beat me up and <laughs> put me in a pit and stripped me naked and I was crying. It's not only because of that. It's because my father, I don't have a mother, I don't have a mother, a mother-in-law, I don't have an aunt, I don't have cousins, I don't have anything. And I am I can't even, you know lift up a coin without pharaoh <laughs> you know that um this is a guy in my community who um at about 14 maybe um he's from Beich, poland Beich is the name of his hometown um 
whatever have you say that now in Polish. And and he told me that um, when he had to flee, when the Nazis came, he sort of attached himself to a, you know, an older, like older than him, but not an old woman, a young mother. She was, let's, let's say she was 25 and he's like 13 or 14 and she's got a little baby and he's he's just following her and he won't kind of let her go and he's hoping that she will sort of mother him a little bit and she just wants to get rid of this kid and so she they run to a barn and they hide in a barn and she's just she she's wants to, to she wants to get rid of him she can't because she's just desperate to take care of her own child and she's in terrible straits herself and i'm wondering about how many shoah stories you know involve at some level a sense of betrayal from your fellow Jew or your fellow family member or something like that, that you're like, you're, you're, you're panicking. You're so, and Joseph, the, the, one of the ways that the story speaks to, to uh, an audience, a reader, a, a, a Jew hearing this story is we, we talked about it in last week's parashah. He's begging for help and they ignore him. He's, he's got to feel that abandonment, which I bet you lots of Jews over the centuries have felt, you know, my brothers really did sell me down the river. And, and, uh, we're having that now. We have that's part of the internal Jewish debate now between Israel and the diaspora in, in terms of who's abandoning whom and, and who's betraying whom and, and how everybody is, is kind of figuring out, you know, this relationship. I mean, it's, I say to people all the time, you know, if you want to do therapy, you put Israel in one couch and American Jewry in another and have them work out their issues. Because it's it's painful sometimes, you know, and you know, this, this is, sibling relations are painful when they're not when they're not beautiful. Right? They so, can... so can I just say one, one thing about, on a, on a on a sort of a musical liturgical level here? Um, you know, when Shlomo Karlbach, you know, Am Yisrael Chai, Am Yisrael Chai. So I don't know exactly when he wrote that, but. It's let's roughly you know north or south of 1970. It's after the uh, Six Day War. It's around maybe it's around the Yom Kippur War. It's part of the Russian Jewry, yeah. Soviet Jewry. It's within you know the very close shadow of the Shoah. And Am Yisrael Chai, Od Avinu Chai, Od Avinu Chai. Our father is still alive. And it's Joseph's, it's the quotation here of this, Ha'od Avichai, does my father really yet live? And we can, we talked before we started recording. Is that a simple interrogative? Is that, is, is he's asking for the fact of J Jacob's being alive or dead? Or is, is it just an expression of wonder? Od Avichai, is my father really still alive? And the, the affirmation in the Karlbach song, yes, no matter the suffering, no matter the fear, our, you know, Yaakov Avinu Lomet, as the Talmud says, Jacob never really died. Jacob is still alive because we are still alive. And the affirmation in the song of, indeed, Jacob is still alive because we're still alive, and the Nazis didn't kill, and the, the Soviets didn't kill, and, and Nasser didn't kill, and Yasser Arafat didn't kill. We're still alive. It's just, just that'll really, it, I, feel, I feel tremendous affirmation from that pasuk. Oh, Yes, it's anthemic, as it were. <laughs> okay, um, so they have their their moment. They have he has a doubling of this moment, and he says, "Ani Yosef I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold to 
Egypt. And on and on and on and on. And he explains it. Shlachani Elohim Lifnechem. Right? God, God is part of this. Um, I want to, you know what? I want to ask you this question, okay? They kiss, and then it says this lovely verse, 45, verse 16. And it the, the word or the voice is heard in the household of Pharaoh saying, the brothers of Joseph have come, and it was good in Pharaoh's eyes and and in the eyes of his servants. So I want to just drill down on this moment here, okay? And 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 try and react and you know figure out Pharaoh's reaction. A is it a sentimental sentimental good feeling reaction which is oh look at this the family's together what a great story or is it you know a utilitarian reaction is it well a- it begs the question though what did joseph say about his family yeah right he comes to egypt as a slave and he can make up any story he wants because the only thing that anyone knows is someone sold him well you know uh, i just went back and looked a second ago Mrs. Potiphar refers to him as a Narivri, and the butler, when he, when he at the, the beginning of Miketz, when he says, oh, I forgot to tell you that I met this dream interpreter, and he also calls him a Narivri. Right, that's an ethnic term, not a familial term. But what I mean by that is, well, I think that's, it is an ethnic term. By the way, I read an article that said that Ivri, as opposed to Yehudi or Yisrael or something like that, is typically used... Um, it is an ethnic term typically used like by others, not a self-definition. Um, it's why it's what you would say to Pharaoh, talk about the Ivriim, Ivriim Shlachani. Moses says that God of the Hebrews, because that's what Pharaoh would understand. Um, looking at them as an ethnic group. But right, Jonah is the only one I think who identifies. Hebrew, Jonah says, I am a Hebrew, that's right. Um, but what I was gonna just say as it fits into this story is um is that he is known in the Egyptian world, at least at the beginning of his rise to power, it was known that he went he went into jail as an Ivri, and it's known that he came out of jail as an Ivri. Now, this is X many years later. Um, maybe that knowledge has been forgotten. But if the brothers have come down, come down to Egypt, and there's this Mr. Egyptian, Safnat Paneach, who was like super-duper powerful, wouldn't it be interesting if they had ever asked, did a little reconnaissance mission, a little intelligence gathering, and said, who, who, who is this guy? And somebody would have told them, well, he was a Hebrew. He was a Hebrew guy from Canaan who was thrown into jail, and he's risen to power. Maybe the brothers, you know, Nafal HaAsimon, maybe they might have uh, figured it out. Figured it out. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm on Pharaoh here. I... I, I... I'm thinking Vaitav he he likes this. Let me let me put this one at you, which is I don't want to say he's the first anti-Semite, okay? But he's he because so make him the second one. Tell us who the first really is. Cain <laughs> was the first. No, I was going to say that Cain. There was no Semites yet, but 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 Cain and and maybe Ham Ham will be he. He has a certain. He sees Joseph as so amazing, and so maybe he thinks they're all like that. 
you know. Well, and what I, makes that anti-Semitic? Because I'm only saying this because I had a music teacher in Ottawa when I was growing up. He said, "You, it was he didn't, you know. Today you could never get away with saying this." He said, "You Jews, you are either very smart or very stupid." It's a horrible thing to say, but there's a there's a character. So true, but so true. That's so true. A caricature of Jews, right? That we're all smart and we control everything. Of course, that's that's an anti-Semitic canard, right? But here, Pharaoh's got the same. I'm going to say, does he have the same idea that all of you people coming from uh, Canaan have your wits about you, and that I could use you? I could use you. I could find a place for you in Egypt that will make me more powerful and give me more wealth. Okay. I, 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 It's an interesting interpretation, but I think we also have to take into account, perhaps, that this is the the second year of the famine. There are five more years to go. And Joseph realizes that there are tough mm-hmm. times ahead. And I think Pharaoh knows this too. So if these people might be able to help him, I don't. I think that would be a good thing, not a bad thing. No, it's a good thing because it, it's. But it's all. It's all utilitarian. It's all transactional. I don't. I don't know that it is because okay. I, I think sometimes we judge characters. You know, there's that great line about Ishmael that Bashar um, Hushab, that uh, God provided for Ishmael when he was uh, sent Where away with Hagar um, at the place where he was because of the rabbinic imagination of a discussion where the angels say, how can you help Ishmael? He's going to grow up and uh, be an enemy of the Jewish people. And God said, well, right now he's not an enemy and he needs help. And I think that, you know, sometimes we judge Pharaoh, especially enemies of Jews, the people who are perceived as enemies by the end rather than the beginning. It may be that it's an honest response. I think that that's that's right and and a a good, generous reading because let's just transpose this for a moment into into American life and thinking about immigration in a time of crisis. America is obviously a very wealthy country, um, but we can't take everybody. And so we try to have some, some border controls, but there's really literally... You know, tens and hundreds of thousands of Latin Americans at the southern border, and uh, and you know, we we kind of say, well, we can't we can't afford you know to just bring in everybody. But then other people say, well, actually, you know, the economy is driven by immigrants, and there, and especially highly skilled immigrants, and and so it would not be strange for me to think in what you're calling the transactional way that Pharaoh's going to say. You know, actually, this this can help our society generally. But even even if it's not the transactional thing, um, Pharaoh is 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 in charge of a country that is in the begins in the beginnings of a crisis that he knows is going to last for a while. And somebody comes and says, "Listen, we're some refugees, and we're we got cattle, and we need some grazing place." And he says, "Okay." And and it's because of his relationship with Joseph, and maybe it's transactional because he thinks they can bring something to the to the to the society. But I I think it's also just like pretty good. And and by the way, when Deuteronomy will later say, "Lotita uh, ev mitzri," you can't hate Egyptians. Kiger hayita be'artso, because you were a stranger in his land. I think that it means like okay, I know it worked out pretty badly, and and in the end, the Egyptians were were tremendously oppressive. 
But there was a moment in which they welcomed you, and you got to be grateful for that moment. And I think that we're seeing that by Yitav Paro. I think that's... Right. I, the I, other I, piece of it, Elliot, I just want to add one more thing, is that it's a family reunification story. How could that not be heartwarming? Of course, I, yeah, we joke okay, about but it. So I, I wanna, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to read uh, you know, a little sinister uh, valence here. Which, you like being sinister. I don't like it. You want it darker? I, you I want it darker? We killed, you killed the flame. Yeah. Respect him, honor him, and suspect him. Right? And, that, and I'll tell you, you know, really, the, real, the real reason why I'm saying this is because this expression, Vaitav Be'ene something, someone, um, is odd and and uh, I did a little investigation about it and it's it's different from vayira ben you know bene vayira it's it which is it seems like the opposite it was evil it's evil in the sight of God is a moral evil good in the sight of someone seem is not a moral good but is mo, mo, seems to be a, a utilitarian good and and here Pharaoh. I mean, of course, it's a good story, and of course, it's heartwarming. But you know, he's Pharaoh, and he's always got to think of, like, you know, the politics of it and the power of it, right? And and um, okay, so then I think we have to discuss a little bit about Joseph's reaction to that, and Joseph's reaction is to have his brothers say, "We're shepherds." Yeah. He right, we don't want to mix with you. Right, and they. But right? he can't say that. we don't want to mix with you. All he can say is, "Tell them you're shepherds, and Pharaoh do the job that you want to do." Right. So that way, it might support your reading. Yes, uh, and 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 uh, and they end up not saying that. They 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 don't want to. Pharaoh wants him to say, or sorry, Joseph wants them to say, "We are men of herds." Anshemikne. And they say we're shepherds, right? They, they. Uh, really... Do you think uh, you, you remember the scene where it says that it's a it's a toy va for the Egyptians to eat to eat with the with the Hebrews? Um, yeah. For whatever reason, they've got a they've got a caste system or some sort of taboo. But do you think that Joseph, because he was known to be a Hebrew, do you think that Joseph, in all these years of power, never got invited to dinner because it was a toy va? You know. It's a good so question. there, you have to read closely. Is the toivat that you with Ivrim or an Ivri? All right, conceivably, conceivably, it's a singular plural thing. Um, so it could be that because Joseph is one Ivri, he's not Trafe, but a group of them you can't eat. It's also conceivable that um, that he, so to speak, converts, like that he that he because of his prominence and he's given. Uh, to he's given in in marriage uh, the the character with no doubt for us English speakers the best name in the entire Hebrew Bible. Osnat, Osnat, <laughs> the daughter of of Potiphera Kohen On. Uh, she's she's the she's the daughter of of Potiphera. Maybe he's the same as Potiphar. Maybe he's not. Uh, I and I I love Israelis when they name the kids Osnat and they come to the United States. It's just not not good. Oh, yeah, but, yeah. Uh, Maybe he converted. Maybe like he married into a good family, and and they were prepared to treat him no well, longer. She was definitely a good family. Well, I might thoughts about that, but anyway, we're out of we're running out of time. And the Joe, Jacob, Joseph, they meet in this whole thing. It's all so heartwarming and you know heart crushing and everything. But we've run out of time. We're going to pick it up on our next parsha talk. 
with the conclusion of the book of John. I don't want to let it go. I don't want to let it go. I don't well, we have go. one more week. I know, but but we love these. Listen, listen to this. We recorded Parsha, we recorded Parsha for many years at camp, but we began recording Parsha in 2020, and we went through all 2021, and this is the last Parsha of 2022. And our next Parsha talk will be the first Parsha talk of 2023. That's amazing. On that In your book. Okay. Well, happy, happy everything. And we'll see you all. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for being with us. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom.